0: Hi, and welcome to Conversations with Elizabeth Johnston. I'm your host, Elizabeth, and I am so excited about our guest today. His name is Alan Hood. Alan Hood has a Master's in Divinity from Asbury Theological Seminary. He served as the Associate Director of the International House of Prayer KC Missions Base from 2000 to 2020. In January of 2019, Alan founded the Excellencies of Christ Ministries, which exists to disciple the body of Christ through prayer, preaching, creative resources, and the building up of the local church. Alan now resides in Port St. Lucie, Florida, with his wife, Rachel, and regularly travels ministers and consults with various churches and ministries around the world. Alan, it is such an honor to host you on the podcast today. Thank you for being with us.
1: Oh, it's such a joy to be here, Elizabeth. Thank you.
0: Well, wow, um, I was trying to do a workout not long ago at Gold's Gym. And I was really struggling because I was encountering God <laughs> so heavily, listening to a message from you and your good friend, Corey Russell, who is now becoming a friend of mine as well. Um, you all were ministering at uh, Fresh, Fresh Start Church. And uh, wow, I was just getting rocked trying to have this workout, but getting emotional, you know, crying, like trying to hide that I'm speaking in tongues while I'm on the treadmill. Um, (laughs) And I said, I have got to meet this man of God. Um, And what an honor. Didn't know I'd be having you on my podcast. I'm I'm truly uh, honored to be able to even speak with you because I respect so much the mantle um, that, that you carry. And I believe you are a very important voice to this generation. So Alan, I've actually never heard how you met the Lord. And I would love for you to share your salvation testimony with our listeners.
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great start. You know, uh, I, I was, I can't think of a time when I didn't know Jesus, to be honest. And part of that is because you're raised in a Christian family and your mom and dad go to, I went to United Methodist Church. We dressed up in our little suits and ties back then, you know, and took our quarter to church and was taught how to tie. But um, I guess the story of my life would have been uh, the encounter of who the father really is based upon my father. You know, growing up in the church, I it was kind of like I viewed God the same way I viewed my dad, which is I knew he loved me, but I was pretty sure he didn't like me. I was pretty sure he was mostly mad or mostly sad concerning my life. My father had high standards. He was a hard worker. And it was the coming into the revelation that my father liked me as well as loved me. In fact, his sole goal was communion with me. And in fact, when I was uh, in my teen years, I began to rebel. And it was in that time that my father began to break all the rules He began to come after me. He began to pursue me with all of his heart. And it was in that moment that Mm. it kind of clicked to me. This is what Jesus is like. This is what the father has done. He's broken all the rules. He's come after us in Jesus Christ. And his death Mm. on the cross was because of his wide open heart of vulnerability. He did it for love. And when that clicked, everything made sense to me. My prayer life began to soar because now I wasn't afraid to talk to him. Now my sanctification process began to grow because I actually wanted to grow near him. Uh, Mm. I I began to see him in a completely different way. And it was really because of my father who uh, encountered me like that. And I treated him really bad, but he, he persevered and came after me when I needed to be sought after instead of pulling back and, uh, you know, drawing hard boundaries.
0: Wow. So, uh, fathering is, um, is a major part of your journey. Now I can see why you're so passionate, um, about fathering yourself. Um, you work with some of your sons in ministry. Uh, I understand you have three sons, right? I do.
1: I have three sons, 26, 24, 22. They're my, they're my dear friends, my best friends, I would say. And, um, you know, they're my brothers as well as my sons. And that's that right. was the joy as they were growing up to embrace them as brothers. Mm. And, and that's the highest thing, that we would be friends and love with God together. And so, yeah, two of them are in ministry with me. And the other one is just as dear and has his own ministry before God. And wow. I delight in him as well.
0: Yes, I uh, I relate to that on a deep level. I My adult children... Uh, carry a very strong voice in in my own life, and I respect them as um, as you know my sisters, my my brothers in the Lord as well, right. and have frequently received counsel from them, um, and so I I I really honor that. So you, I heard you say, Alan, that we have taught people how to father visions, but not father families. Yeah, wow. I, I, you know what? I think, I couldn't I think... agree more. I, I, I always said that my if I couldn't do it with my children for the last 20 years, I pretty much haven't done it. And um, any ministry that we did, we tried to do as a family. Could you speak into that, the importance of not sacrificing your children on the altar of ministry? And how do we avoid this pitfall that we frequently see with ministers of the gospel?
1: Yeah, that that's a key question for leaders and one I address a lot, which is, yeah, I'll just say it this way. Our children are not expendable. My children are not, not expendable for any vision, any man, any, any organization. I only have one shot at this. And I think from the very earliest days when I was in seminary, the Lord spoke to me and said, Alan, what if I fulfilled the dreams I put in your heart through your three sons? Is that okay with you? And I think that little adjustment uh, made me rethink how I do ministry. And when you're involved in the International House of Prayer, it's an international ministry. It never stops. It is a hurricane force of spirituality and intensity. And to try to raise a family where there is no such thing as Christmas or Fourth of July or Thanksgiving, because... (laughs) the fire on the altar never goes out, the tide just keeps coming. And that spiritual intensity is a category five hurricane force. And if you don't put up the right bulwarks around your family, even what is great in God can cause the casualties with your own Mm. children. And so from the earliest days, my wife and I, we set up boundaries. It didn't matter, I remember, uh, what's her name? uh the the lady from Alaska who ran as vice president. Uh Sarah Palin.
0: Sarah Palin. She came
1: in, she came into town, said, you know what? Uh she wants to meet with you and Mike and the leaders of IHOP. And I said, No, this is my day off. I, yeah. I only get one chance. I can meet any Sarah Palin or any general. There were generals coming through, heads of state were always coming through religious international leaders coming through and if i didn't draw that boundary to where Mm. my children knew that they were the most important things in my life it uh, it would release Mm. dynamics in my family that they would end up being casualties in fact mike would ask me to preach on sundays and saturday nights and i said well i'll preach on sundays but not saturday nights and he goes well you have to do both and i said well then i won't preach and probably for about five years I said no to Mike consistently because I refused to be distracted during my kids' YMCA soccer games. They needed to see their dad looking at them. And it's hard to look at them when you're thinking about Romans 8 or or whatever text you're preaching on and you're going through it in your mind. And we might think we're glancing at them, but we're really distracted and it really matters. They can tell. And so I said no to him for probably five to seven years till finally mm. he gave way and said, Alan, good job. You held the line. I wanted to see if you would really hold the line. You did it. And then he changed it where I could preach just on Sundays. But most, <laughs> most young men who are being, <laughs> you know, underneath a, a international leader, that pressure to perform, to have favor, to keep your position, your stature, to get known, And so if you're if I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, be willing to remain hidden Mm. and be willing to sow into your children. And that dividend paid off. And then I took them everywhere I went. You know, I would say to ministries, I will not come unless you pay for one of my sons to come with me. And so we flew all over the world (laughs) and then you then you tack on a few days to play hard. And, you know, I find out in our spiritual environments. It, you know, Isaiah 42, it's the first servant songs. It says, uh, to, it says, uh, behold, my servant, my elect one in whom all my soul delights. Mm-hmm. This is the Old Testament version of this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and what I begin to see there is, is that the father so delighted in his son that the son was willing to engage in bringing justice to the earth. And and what the father shared with me was, Alan, if you will delight in them, they will allow you to shape their delights. If you will shower them with your pleasure, they will allow you to shape their pleasures. And I found that that most fathers don't know how to play. And most fathers don't know how to ask that one question. How's your heart, son? Do I have your Mm -hmm. heart? And when you notice you don't have your heart, you need to go off. And invest in them until you get it press through the awkwardness and uh so anyway there's a lot to that and but that's one of my favorite subjects I, but i
0: i literally no. like have tears streaming down my face right now um i i relate to this on on such a deep level um as you told stories about saying no to sarah palin wanting to you know come through and and meet with you and and saying no to to preaching you know i can remember Um, the time the White House called me and asked me to um, go have an exclusive meeting with Vice President Pence. And I didn't want to go, but um, leadership in my life told me that I I needed to go, and so I did. And then as I'm there at this meeting um, with the Vice President, I get an opportunity to also attend um, a party event that night with you know Donald Trump Jr. Kellyanne Conway, who is Donald Trump's, um, um, oh, what do you call it? Campaign manager, um, and and just different leaders like that. And I said no, you know, I'm 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 going home tonight. I'm flying home tonight. I am not going to be away from the kids uh, over overnight. And, um, and you talked about that paying off and that, that dividend paying off. And I don't believe it just pays off in your relationship with your children. I believe it, it pays off. Uh, There's a, there's a transaction there spiritually as well. And that there is an oil that that produces in your life and a favor that that produces on your life. And I was just in a room a couple of weeks ago with leaders that I felt very unworthy to be in that room. And the statement that was made multiple times in that room by a leader, a particular leader, was, I will listen to anyone whose 10 kids are walking with God. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Like, I just wept as this leader said this because it was like. My life was just—it was this full circle moment for me, where um, the sacrifices made over the years come full circle in your life in a spiritual moment, not just yes. in the life of your children. But um, I believe that that God saw those moments, Alan, where you said no to opportunity and ambition, and uh, man, I, I honor that. I honor that in you. Um, this this is, conversation is really touched me and I know going to touch the the listener as well there people are going to listen to this they're going to start canceling things they're going to start making adjustments in their life and their schedule they're going to go back to their prayer clause and say okay I need to readjust what can what can go and how can I remember what the main things are and how can I Um, let ambition exit my life and begin to realize that discipling the very people that God put in my house is the most important thing that he's, he's given me to do. (laughs) Amen. So, um, sorry, trying to gather myself. Um,
1: Well, can I say one thing, Elizabeth? Yes. Yes, Alan, go ahead. Uh, You know, uh, God answers our prayers and I think we have to make room for our prayers to be answered with our children with the storyline that we're not expecting.
0: I'll give you an
1: example. My youngest son, Joshua Allen Hood, my namesake son, you know, he was a gamer. Like he was a world-class gamer. Now in the International House of Prayer monastic community, gaming is not high up on the totem pole. It's not high up on my totem pole. I I don't, I couldn't stand it. And yet I would crack down on him and start putting boundaries, teach him self control, responsibility and i remember when the father spoke to me and said alan you're teaching him self-control but you're not delighting in him Mm -hmm. go watch him play and begin to talk to me about him and the future i have not knowing that five years later he would be working with fellowship of christian athletes in a christian high school to reach gamers around the world for jesus and i had no." And he came to me one day. He always felt shame because he wasn't a preacher like his brothers. And yet he came to me and he said, Dad, my mission field is way bigger than Samuel's and Jonathan's. Mm -hmm. It transcends gender, nationality, ethnicity, and religion. And I have the ability to read. And I went, I couldn't see it. I couldn't see how God was was bringing it forward. And so sometimes... We've got to make room for the storyline of God in each of our children and delight in them right where they're at as it's unfolding. Because we can't see the we can't see the end yet. And so we gotta make room and we gotta fight for each other's kids and love on them as the story. I want my kid to be a prophet saved at four, a prophet by eight, and fully voting the way I want him (laughs) or her to vote by eight. But yet the storyline unfolds anyway. So I commend you. That's so your-
0: interesting. <clears throat> it took, it took humility though, for you to, um, to come to that place that would require humility as, as a parent to say, okay, I, I couldn't see this, but, but now I can see how God is working through this storyline.
1: Amen. And I had to repent to him mm-hmm. of all the times I did not delight in him. And it was harsh and it did represent Jesus's heart. Oh. And the whole time Jesus was training him, just like mm-hmm. he trained Paul in uh, Old Testament studies <laughs> to, to be write a the New Testament. Yep.
0: Wow. That's so interesting. Alan, you have said you have made it your mission to convince people that God is real. This, um, this is interesting. Why is that uh, really an important part of your ministry? What's the backstory mm-hmm. there?
1: Well, I, I think I would phrase it a little differently mm-hmm. in the sense of, I would say, I want to uh, convince them he's a real person. Yeah, He's a person. Yes. Okay. You know, most people see God as an algorithm in the sky, as mm-hmm. kind of like the grand AI, the algorithms looking for certain things, activities, behaviors to count them out. Or he's an mm-hmm. energy force or some kind of stoic judge. But, but we're made in his image. He's a person. He's real. He has warm personality. He has wit he has humor, he has ingenuity, he's creative, and we're made in his image. And I find that we don't, when we don't understand he's a real person, we don't talk to him, which is prayer. You know, the burden of my life has been how to cultivate prayer in God's people, how to get them talking to God. And I find that when we don't see him rightly, we don't talk to him. In fact, it, you know, I'll say it this way, most courses on intimacy that I took, begin with what should you do not who you should talk to
0: Mm.
1: in fact if i was to track most people's prayer lives and watch their personal prayer lives and as if i knew nothing about god and everything i would know about god would be dependent on what i would see and hear them pray Mm. what would that image of god look like and i'm convinced it would be these pygmy little gods that are insecure hot-tempered, that are shallow, that that are not as beautiful and daring and Whoa. warm and humorous and glorious <laughs> and powerful and righteous as Jesus. In fact, yes. Jesus, he's
0: a person. A- and, and we've so, got him relegated to a genie in the bottle, pretty much. That's right.
1: Genie in the bottle, or he's just mostly mad and mostly sad, and we keep him, we perform you know i was so caught up in the rubrics of prayer like what should i pray how long should i pray when mm. should i pray what position should i pray what passage should i pray that i was always paralyzed by my analysis and critique of am i doing it and the real wow. question was who am i talking to wow. who, who is this one because my life is bound up in his we're the one creature made in his image and my dreams are discovered in his dreams my personality is discovered in his personality and so i want i wanted to uh talk to him desperately but i was tripped up on the rubrics and i think for me uh i want to take uh how do i say it i think i think this it's best said You, you know i love my boys i'll give my boys as a as an example i love them i don't mind providing for them I don't mind protecting them. I don't mind them eating all the darn food in my house. Like they <laughs> they eat all the food in my house. Same. They, they don't even live here now, and yet they come in and eat my food. <laughs> yes. they, they call it their house, their right. bed, their clothes. Yeah. They haven't paid a dime for any of those things. And yet right. they're right. It is their house. <laughs> it is their food. And I will say to them, I don't mind protecting you, providing for you, loving you. Just talk to me. Mm -hmm. I just want you to talk to me, sons. And they would come home. I say, how are you doing? Good. I go, no. (laughs) Like, you better use more than one word. I want sentences. (laughs) I want paragraphs. And we find the truth when, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples? And Jesus goes, no what do you mean teach you to pray we've been talking all day (laughs) what do you mean he goes we've been talking all day what do you mean teach you to pray and we don't realize they were talking to God they were having the most amazing prayer life by talking to God and I think we forget that we don't talk to God we we perform for God we hide behind our Facebook personas in prayer and yet i find that he desires that we talk to him and we give him space to talk back and so that's the burden of my soul because you'll never grow beyond your your picture of god how you really see him and you'll never grow beyond your vulnerable authentic dialogue with him
0: right and then and when you are saying you were tripped up in prayer is this when you were at the international house of prayer oh my
1: can you imagine being in your early twenties? Actually, I would have been in my late twenties by that time. Wow. And you're you're wanting to succeed in ministry, and you're put into an environment of twenty four seven prayer. I had to pray six to eight hours a day. I didn't know how to pray ten minutes alone a day. And suddenly, your success is based upon your fortitude and prevailing in prayer. And I don't know anything. And I've got a lot of pressure. And I've got to sit alone with God for six to eight hours a day with my good friend, Corey, doing the same thing in the seat next to me, sitting next to Mike Bickle, who had done it for 20 some years, but I hadn't.
0: Mm, right. And,
1: uh, and your success is when you open your mouth on the prayer, Mike, the pressure, <laughs> and then there's oh world gosh. leaders in the room. Then there's political leaders and oh you're like, gosh. I remember Mike, I went up to pray and Mike goes, Hey, no pressure. But that's the fifth wealthiest Arab sheik in the world, right there. So please, <laughs> so please, don't blow it when you pray. I went. I mean, I
0: explain for the listener who doesn't know the backstory of IHOP, which is sure. not a pancake shop, International sure. House of Prayer. Um, just like it, in elevator pitch, what IHOP yeah. was is you know to at this the day. end of the day.
1: <laughs> mike bickle had had a praying church for 16 years where they prayed literally six hours a day but the lord had promised you're going to do night and day prayer in the spirit of the tabernacle david which means music and intercession brought together and you're going to do it nonstop till jesus comes it will be a sign and a wonder in the earth Mm. and so in 1999 may 7th that began my first staff meeting where i was brought on mike announced we're doing the house of prayer And so we began this venture of the fire on the altar never goes out. And so we will worship and then we will intercede and we will worship and intercede. And that will go on four different sections of six hours apiece, just like the waves of the seashore coming in and out. And that's been going on for 20 some years now. And so when that (laughs) began, what it was, was a missions base, which at the center of it was a 24 seven prayer room that served the city, the region, the nation, the nations. And so we would pray 24 hours a week as part of our job. And then we would do mercy deeds
0: mm. or
1: teach or, or some other ministry right. for 24 hours.
0: And why and were leaders coming? Why were they attracted?
1: Because they, they, I mean, where have you been on the earth where at any moment, doesn't matter the time of the day, 300 people are in a room with a full worship team. worshiping god and interceding yeah you'll come in at 6 a.m there'll be 200 to 300 people 4 (laughs) p.m 200 to 300 people 8 p.m 200 300 people 3 a.m 200 people so we had a thousand full-time intercessory missionaries at our height and so that doesn't count the part-time and the volunteers so we were a community of missionaries that had night and day prayer we were Mm -hmm. under the conviction that we pray Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, right. around heaven, God rules from a place of unceasing adoration and perpetual prayer. Right. And so we wanted to do on earth. And we believe that before the Lord returns, there'll be an expression of night and day mm-hmm. prayer as it is in heaven all over right. the earth. In 1984, there were only 25, 24-7 prayer rooms or prayer networks. Now there's nearly 20,000 mm-hmm. around the world today. So this is this is one of those signs and wonders that Jesus is about to return. Mm. So and leaders
0: would come to receive prayer.
1: uh, Well, you anytime you have a 24 seven worship and prayer, the well of revelation, Mm. the understanding of who God is, the understanding of the word of God, the presence of the Lord. Leaders would walk in and what we took for granted every day they would come in and begin to cry within five minutes, 10 minutes, be undone by an encounter from God. Mm. And so uh, people would hear about it and come to see it. We had even Orthodox Jewish rabbis come in and tell us, Hey, we used to do this back in the day. And we'd say, what do you mean? You used to do it. And they go, well, King Solomon and King David, we go, Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you're right. You did used to do this. And so, uh, uh, it, it became a a global phenomenon of a statement of God's worth mm-hmm. to be worshiped.
0: Wow. Powerful. Your life, your your entire life in ministry, has been marked by this kind of prayer and fasting. Um, you have invested so so many days, hours, and years of your life. Why is this prayer movement so important and valuable to God?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. In fact, pastors will usually ask it: Is it really necessary to do twenty four seven prayer? and my my, you know i will say it a couple ways number one it's it's not it's not our how do i say it it's not out of balance to do this i just want to say that clearly the new testament says gives us permission to explore unceasing prayer paul said Mm -hmm. to find out what it means to pray continually and and we know that in heaven they do it and so it gives us that permission i would just say to you that it's not my, uh, I'll say that, can you imagine asking a, a, one of the four living creatures, do you think this is balanced, what wow. you're doing around the throne? I,
0: I can't fathom it.
1: <laughs> and you imagine they would just give one of their eyeballs, would look over at you like, right. hey, would you take your two eyes and put them on him? Are you seeing whom we're seeing? And so that, that impetus of wanting to give God what the heavenly creatures already know about him i mean none of the jesus didn't come as an angel and die an angel's death to redeem one-third of the angels that fell right. so how can i let a living creature out worship right the, those who are made in his image yes. who have been redeemed by his blood whom we have been exalted and set up in his presence to rule and reign with him i i we came under the conviction we're not going to let angels do more than what we were made to do in our governmental roles. And from that place, as a young man, I knew revival was birthed out of fervent intercession and fasting. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see the church get its heart back again.
0: We gotta get our
1: heart back again. We gotta get free from celebrity Christianity. We gotta get our heart back again. We gotta get free from fathering visions and get our hearts back again. And there's only one place I know to get your heart back is to put your two eyes on Jesus mm. and to open your weak mouth and say weak words and pause to hear him tell you I love you long enough to where he's worth everything. Mm. And that, that changed everything for me, the and way I set so my worthy. life. And then I, then everything made sense. I could die. To, I could give up anything he wanted me to give up. I could go anywhere he wanted me to go. Mm-hmm. I could do anything he wanted me to do. Because he had cultivated intimacy in my heart. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but my biggest fear in ministry was, am I going to minister and lose my quality of heart before him?
0: Yeah, lose your family, lose your intimacy with God. Oh, Those are the most valuable, yes.
1: And I go, I'm not willing to do that. And that was one of the first ministries I'd seen where Mike, Mike Bickle gave us permission to cultivate mm-hmm. intimacy before we... You know, uh, ministered before people. Beautiful. And I, I don't want to ever do it any other way.
0: Amen. Amen. May we all be addicted to that kind of ministry and that kind of loan. Um, I want to segue into one of our last topics here. Um, Alan, the wilderness seems to uh, be a way that the Lord has to groom us. Um, for our our calling and our future Um, wilderness seasons are just seem to be a part of our spiritual maturation I'm sure you would agree and I know that I have personally grown exponentially during the most bone crushing seasons of my life Um, can you tell us about let us peer in maybe to um, the hardest season of your life and and let us know how you got through that season
1: yeah, I, w- I would say I'm still in the hardest season of my life. It's wow. been a 10-year journey. Wow. It's, uh, I would say it began when God poured out His Spirit upon IHOP. And West wow. Hall and I led a 10-month awakening of 7,000 documented healings, 1,500 baptisms. And yet at the same time I was seeing a move of the Spirit, my body was beginning to break down. Things were <sighs> beginning to happen. I didn't know what was going on. Where everyone when else that, was, When
0: did that start, Alan?
1: 2009, 2010. Okay. And so that period, while everyone else, I would literally minister four to six hours every night, would see massive healings. Un- Thanks, I-, I remember the night I saw literally ear after ear after ear open in a row, mm-hmm. deaf ears. I've never seen anything like it. I've seen whole body makeovers. And yet at the same time, I was getting injured. I was oh. getting hurt. I was getting just devastated. My own body was breaking down. I didn't know what was happening that led into a season with our school. And one of our students, you know, it it came out that most likely killed his wife or had something to do with that. And (sighs) uh, and so all these things begin to happen as my body's breaking down. I don't know what's happening the mm-hmm. funds once you you're raising support you get in your kids get into high school now i'm traveling i'm doing four jobs i'm the president of the university i'm the associate director i'm traveling around the world just to make ends meet mm. i'm preaching literally probably 10 times a week and in 10 that place times a week oh yeah because of
0: IHOP or because of traveling. Yeah.
1: well i teach wow. i was the main teacher there with with some other teachers and so wow. i would be teaching probably six hours just in that. And then we had, we had nine languages that we were working to do 24-7 in. So those nine languages, we would bring leaders in from all over the world. And so I would be teaching at all these weekly seminars, the Brazilians, the Russians, the Germans. I mean, it was, it was intense, the Chinese. So it was a nonstop furnace. And although I was drawing boundaries for my children, my body began to break down and in the midst of that, the Lord asked me to give up everything. I went on a 40-day fast for IHOP's breakthrough in 2018. In the midst of that 40-day fast, usually uh, we needed a breakthrough. We needed God to break in to revive us to yeah. for another move of the Spirit, to revive our hearts, to be able to make it, and in that time, I became more unsettled. Now, usually you're about 10 days into a 40-day fast. You get above the storm. You sign up for another 20 years and you go, I can make it because God's with you. I can begin to get more disturbed. And my son called me on day 20 and said, Dad, I don't think you're hearing God anymore. And I said, what do you mean, you you little whippersnapper? Why don't you lead a home group? Why don't you lead a home group one time before you give your dad that kind of counsel. Yeah. You know? but, yeah. but he goes, no, dad, you've already planned out your next 20 years at IHOP to take it over when Mike transitions. Mm-hmm. What if God's asking you to lay it all down? Mm-hmm. Would you be willing to do it for him, dad? And as soon as he said it, I knew it was God. And over the next 20 days, the Lord would speak clearly and say, I want you to lay down your global platform. And I want you to go seek me in Colorado Springs. And I want you to leave it all. Uh. Completely shocked my spiritual father, my dearest friend, Mike Bickle. He he would keep saying, God's just going to send you there for 10 months and bring you back. But the truth is, God said, lay it all down. Phew. And in that place of laying it all down. And this, Elizabeth, we don't talk about this to our to the next generation. We just... We tell God that we tell the next generation he's going to make your purpose the best purpose you can have. Yeah. Well, you got a bigger purpose. It's to rule and reign with Jesus forever. And there's mm-hmm. some learning. There's some lessons that you can only learn in government by suffering, mm-hmm. by being emptied out, by giving up everything. In fact, Jesus said, Father, can, can you train me to be the Messiah over all things a different way? And the father goes, no, it's the cross. We want resurrection to resurrection. Jesus leads us crucifixion to resurrection, Mm. crucifixion to resurrection. And only in that place of crucifixion, of dying, of laying it down, God empties us of what everybody else defines our success to be, what we define ourselves to be. And we discover in that place, if we'll let him, that we're loved. And that Mm. all things are possible because of him and whether we, whatever he calls us to, he's enough for us. Mm. And so I had to lay it all down. And I've been going through a three-year journey of what does that mean? COVID hits. And the next Mm. thing you know, I'm alone in Colorado Springs. The prayer room shut down at the Jericho Center for a year and a half. And I'm going, what am I doing here, God? Like, Mm. what am I doing here? And so that has been a journey that's led to this moment to where my son said, Dad, I think you're I think God's trying to get you to steward your message in a better way. My generation won't listen to you preach for three hours at a time live. Would you do it? Would you let me take your content and do a masterclass style for 10 and 15 minute chunks? And would you go on a journey to disciple the world through what he's given you? And I, again, my deliverance was in his mouth. And so I didn't want to do it, but I said, okay, I'll do it. The world shut down anyway. And that led to the birthing (laughs) of the next season. And this is what I'll say. If we will cooperate with the wilderness, Mm. God empties us out to make a landing strip for a greater amount of his presence to birth Mm. us into the next thing that we can't even see. So I'm so grateful for the wilderness. Mm -hmm. It's where Jesus learned maturity. In fact, I'll say this one last thing, and I'll quit talking, which is, do you know the only time Jesus used the word Abba in the Gospels is Mark 14 in the Garden of Gethsemane?
0: I did not know that.
1: In the Gospel of John and the rest of the Gospels, he uses pater, which is father. But in the Garden, in the midst of the suffering, he says, Abba. And I don't know about you. But in that place of trial, tribulation, suffering, crushing, brokenness is where he comes to me. Hmm. And that's where I discover He's not just my God. Yeah, He's my father. In fact, Jesus on the cross said, "I don't know where you're at or why I'm here, but Father into your hands." I commit my spirit. And I find that that is a lesson that most of us don't want to teach the next generation. In fact, Mm -hmm. Romans 8 says, you are a son if you suffer with him. But we don't talk about that aspect of the father's heart, but we should, because that's where the gold's at. That's where the acceleration's at. That's where the emptying out, the expanding our capacity. Oh, I tell you, don't waste waste a good trial. Don't waste it. You want it. So anyway, but there's a lot more to be said. But that's that's some of my I'm still in it is my point.
0: Wow. wow. I'm
1: waiting to see the next season.
0: But if we don't teach this to the next generation, you know, we're going to see spiritual miscarriage after spiritual miscarriage, yes. right? Because they are expecting life to be from glory to glory. They do not understand necessarily that God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. Yes. You know, you don't, you don't get to um, the next level of, of carrying his presence and his glory by cashing in on your connections. You know, you, you get it through suffering well, oftentimes, yes. right?
1: Yes. Yes. No, you just said it. You just said it. And you know what? That was the single defining uh, Mm. characteristic of the apostolic in the New Testament, suffering. Amen. Not your networking, not your charisma, not Mm. your Hollywood glamour. It's your ability to suffer with him. That in dying, I carry about Mm. in my body the death of Christ, so the life of Christ may be released in you.
0: And so much of our journey is how really is boiled down to how are we responding to trials and suffering and warfare, right? Like for the young believer listening right now, um, Alan, who, who respects you and, um, just knows that you, you carry an anointing on your life. I would love for them to hear the seasoned Alan Hood speak to how to be victorious through that warfare. You've shared with us about your warfare. Um, you've shared that you're very much, you know, still possibly navigating hopefully the end of that se- season uh, that you've been in, but how have you navigated this and not um, despaired?
1: Yeah, uh, you know what? I, I would say John John 15 and 1 John 2, 12 to 14 are really good pictures. John, John 15 is pruning. Do you know the only scripture where it talks about authority and intercession is in the context of being pruned,
0: mm.
1: is in the pruned. Mm. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you can ask the father anything and he'll give it to you for by this, he's glorified. That's power and in intercession. Ask mm. the father anything, he'll give it to you. The qualifiers are in the place of pruning, abide in him. His word abides in us. 1 John 2, 12 to 14 says it this way. He's gonna talk about the faith that overcomes the trials of the world. And he goes, he addresses the spiritual status of believers. He goes, hey, I write to you, dear children, because you know your sins are forgiven. That's the first place in the trial to know your sins are forgiven. I find that when the trial comes, it's the rage of Satan the sovereignty of God, and my own sin and weaknesses that gets me into it. And you go, well, what's the percentage of each? I don't know. (laughs) I just know that when the enemy comes, historically and biblically, the saints don't respond well at first. Mm. You get overwhelmed. And in that place, you've got to rest in the blood of Jesus. Dear children, know your sins are forgiven. And you rest there. Then the next The next one he addresses is, and I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. In other words, I write to you fathers because you've been through this and you know God's faithful.
0: Mm. You're
1: going to make it. And then he gives the key for how to move from being a spiritual child to a spiritual father. I write to you young men and women Mm. because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you've overcome the evil one. I find that in these times of trial, Don't waste it. Embrace it. Embrace your weakness and and lean into the forgiveness and blood of Jesus and begin to devour the word. Mm. The word that God wants to put in you in that season of trial is going to be your escort into the release of the anointing in the next season. Through the trial, God forces you to study what you would have never studied, to Mm. meditate on what you would have never meditated on. You to remain comfortable, with it it drives you to the Word, and that gives you the strength to overcome the evil one. So that when you come out of that season of the wilderness, leaning on your beloved, you can say, like all the fathers and mothers of the faith, mm. "He was faithful."
0: Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I, I love, as a female uh, and mother, to uh, liken it to a birthing process, and yes. yeah been through a lot of birth with 10 children. So, and the (laughs) contract and the contractions, when you talk about leaning in to me, um, I liken it to embracing the contractions as they, as they come. And, and I have literally stopped a labor of my own through resisting contractions. I, you can actually stop a birth. Wow. Um, even, even with all the force of, you know, you've watched your, your wife give birth, you know, yes. the force, like it, it seems like you can't actually stop a birth. Once it starts coming, it's coming, that baby's coming forth. But I've literally stopped a birth through resisting the contractions wow. and being in such a bad headspace that I could not embrace what God was doing in my body. And so we can stop a birthing process if we do not open up and embrace that moment and those contractions and so i would train myself you know and and like you would exercise and train yourself for a marathon i would condition and train myself to breathe through and embrace these contractions wow. because fighting it actually makes it more painful and so my most successful and and least painful births were the one where ones where i was able to Embrace the contractions the most. And so when we can embrace relinquish control and re- embrace what God is doing through those wilderness seasons, uh, yeah. for me, that has been a, a key to, um, honestly, my quickest ticket out of the wilderness. No, and, that's
1: powerful. That's and powerful. And the
0: birthing. Amen. The birthing process taking place. But I just appreciate your vulnerability in this conversation so much. Um, I've learned things about you that I had never heard before and uh, really feel honored that you've opened up um, on the level that you have and been vulnerable with with my audience today. Um, I want to make sure that we connect people with your online courses, because I do think it's kind of interesting that, you know, everybody's got their online courses right now, but I right. almost feel like you were one of the, the pioneers, one of the first ones that was really, um, you know, now two years after COVID, we, we can see um, how many people are utilizing their devices to, to receive ministry. And that's amazing. That's wonderful. Uh, but I feel like you were one of the first ones out of the gate with a, with a, a really well done online course and, you know, uh, props to your, your kids, your sons for helping you. It says, yeah. says a lot. I, I think that's neat. It's, it's just a neat part of your story. So make sure that my listeners can, um, can get connected. How do they get to your online courses and what do you have to offer?
1: Yeah, we, we basically have done a knowing God series, which is taking Trinitarian theology, and how do you connect theology to learning how to pray? That's what I've done for twenty years. How do how do we in theology impact how we talk to Him? So we have a we have a series: knowing God, intimacy with the Father, intimacy with the Son, and intimacy with the Holy Spirit. Those are our separate courses, and uh, you can go to allenhoodonline.com and sign up for them. And they're forty day. You can either do forty day journeys where I do it. Live with the people, with the videos, and then we do live webinars each week. Or you can go on and take it at your own pace. Or church groups do it and do it at their own pace. And then I have a free course, which is called "Known by God," Psalm one thirty nine, and um, which is really to call the prodigals back to mm. Jesus, mm. to to touch His love. But that's it. Allenhoodonline. dot com.
0: dot com. Do not miss yes. out on um, this treasure chest. Uh, This wealth of understanding and depth in the knowledge of God, in walking with God, in prayer, intercession, um, fasting and prayer. This is this is just the mantle that um, Alan Hood carries. Alan, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. We have uh, been so blessed to have you. And I would like to ask everyone to subscribe to the podcast Conversations with Elizabeth Johnston. Alan, could you please just close us out in prayer?
1: yes father we thank you we thank you for your love we delight in you father and we thank you for your son we thank you for his grace and father we thank you for the communion of the holy spirit and lord i i bless you today and i thank you and i celebrate all that you've done and all that you're doing and lord i do ask for grace upon the body in these birth pangs that are coming to prepare for your son and his rule and his reign over all the nations. And so, Lord, get us ready. Jesus, come to us, come through us, and then, Lord, come for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Alan. God bless you all.